This is tape number 25 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is faith, having your future in part. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in John chapter 5, verse 24, and it reads as follows. Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith, Having Your Future in Part. Message number 25 of the series, Faith, From Heaven to Earth. Last week, uh, in this summary of, or a couple weeks ago now, in the summary of faith, I said that the first thing faith is, it is, is, it's a reference point of the future and a living toward that promise. But the second thing faith is, is the actual recognition that heaven has been bestowed in more than a metaphorical sense in this world. It has been bestowed in your life in a physical presence, in, 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 in a very tangible and present way. So that faith is a reminder of who you actually are. Not just who you will be someday, but who you actually are right now. Now, I have just one verse uh, to really uh, get us into this, and, and it's in the, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. If you have your scriptures, turn to that. It is so good to be back. I tell you, when I'm not preaching... I'm like a glutton on a diet. Boy, there's hardly anything else I can think about. I'm so glad to be back with you. John 5:24. This is what it says. This is what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, notice the tense on that verb, has, eternal life and does not come to judgment. Now he's talking about the judgment for sins because if you're in Christ you will bypass that judgment. You have already had your sins forgiven in Jesus Christ so you won't go to the judgment for sins. You'll go to the judgment for works but not for sins. Does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Has passed. There is something that you have in your life right now. There is someone you are in your life right now, in Jesus Christ, that you may not be constantly aware of. And the role of faith is to remind you of who you really are. Now, most people go through this world trying to find their identity. And, and if you don't have Christ, that's about all you can do, is trying to find your identity or trying to identify yourself. Many people do that in many ways. Some people uh, uh, form their identity uh, by their peers. I am who I am with. That's a very popular way, if you're, if you're a teenager or if you're a social chameleon, to form your identity. Others would say that they form their identity through their own self-esteem. By the way, self-esteem is an oxymoron. Nobody operates in this world by a vacuum. You get your esteem by whoever you value most. And self-esteem comes by this. 
I am whoever somebody else told me I was long enough for me to finally believe it. If you have low self-esteem, it's because somebody told you you stunk long enough and you finally believed it. If you have high self-esteem, somebody told you you were wonderful long enough and you finally believed it. But it does not mean that's exactly who you are. It just means you've begun some, you've, you finally believe somebody else's message about you. Some other human's message about you. And you've decided to make it your own. The third way, philosophically, could be termed existential positivism. And what this simply means is this. I am whoever I say I am. This is what I call the mother dynamic. You know, why? Because I said so. It's the it's because the I said so de- definition. I'll define myself, thank you very much. And the fo- fourth uh, is I am whoever, this is very popular these days, whoever I am genetically predisposed to be. I'll look at my genes and then I'll tell you. Uh, uh, this is uh, uh, unbelievably popular these days. Uh, uh, let me tell you the shortcomings in all these. Let me start with the last one first. You know, you are way too complicated a being to be determined by any genetic predisposition. In the first place, the field of knowledge keeps changing in that area. Uh, in the latest scientific, uh, uh, modern science or scientific American, I can't, I can't remember which one of these, I read a lot of magazines, it has cast doubt, it was talking about the, uh, the, particularly about the homosexual gene, said both of those studies are in doubt because of the way they were conducted. Uh, there's, there's not uh, the scientific veracity to them. But even if there was some predisposition, this is what the article said, this is me now, even if there's some predisposition, and we know that there are some genetic predispositions in us all. R.C. Lewinton, who is the uh, geneticist at Harvard University, the uh, head of the zoology department there, wrote a book called biology as ideology or the the dogma of DNA and he simply said this no one no one's behavior is biologically predetermined we simply don't have that strong of genes we simply don't have that that complete a wiring he said our relationships and our will are way too important to determine what our behavior will be, or who we will be. And so, therefore, don't try to find your identity in that. It's way too weak a base. Don't try to find your identity in your peers. Your peers could change tomorrow. Don't try to find your identity in your self-esteem. You could, you could believe the next person about who you are and what you're worth. Don't find, try to find your identity in <laughs> who you say you are. You could change your mind. Now, that, all of those are inadequate ways to find out who we are. Romans 12.2 says this, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What that basically says in the paraphrase is, don't be squeezed into the world's mold. Don't let the world tell you who you are or what to do. No, there's a better way. And the better way is by faith, realizing who you have become in Jesus Christ because there is a whole new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Most people say, yeah, I'm born again. But they have no idea of what that really means, the profundity 
of being born into a whole new life. Let me read just a few verses about how complete that transformation is. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and most of you have memorized many of these. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Does that sound like you were morphed into something new? No, you were born an entirely new and different creature. You have an entirely new life. And therefore, those things that held you in the past, those things that you thought you needed to do, those things that you were a slave to, are null and void. Look at what it says in Galatians 2.20. This is Paul, and he is telling of his experience with this new life, and he writes this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Paul, I want you to know, is speaking in more than a metaphorical sense. He is speaking in an actual sense. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. As a matter of fact, in the, to the letter at the, at, at the church at Philippi, he wrote this in chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. What does our faith tell us? Our faith tells us that we are not only going toward heaven, We can not only look to the future. We, when we were born into Jesus Christ, were given a new nature. 1 Peter 1. We have a new nature. We are new people. We have new powers. Now, you know and I know, this will never be heaven. There is the now and there is the not yet, and the not yet is going to be even better than the now. And so, therefore, we can never pretend to live a perfect life down here on earth. That's why we need God every second, every step of the way. And I want you to know that heaven is indescribable. And whatever we think is special down here will be usual up there. I heard a cute story this week. It's not theologically sound, but it's cute. (coughs) There was a man who was very rich. Who became a Christian, and you know when you become a Christian, when you trust your life to Christ, invite Him in your heart, give your obedience to Him. You know that that doesn't automatically yield immediate spiritual maturity. That's why we have the series we do, and the the years we, we, we recognize that takes time. And so, he was a Christian, but he was a carnal Christian. He still loved his money. Well, he got word that he was going to die pretty soon. And, and he started bargaining with God. And he said, God, I don't mind dying. I know I'm going to heaven, but, but I love this money. I, 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 could I just take a little bit of my wealth with me? And God, you know, said in his heart, well, you, you don't need it. I mean, it's not, you don't need it. He said, oh, I know, I know, but I, I just want to take some of it. Finally, he argued long enough, and God just said, okay. So he died, showed up, pearly gates, standing there with a big old suitcase, St. Peter comes up to him and says, what's your name? Told him his name. Looks in the book. Yeah, you're here. 
St. Peter said, what you got in the suitcase? He said, come here and look. He opened up the suitcase and it was full of gold bullion. St. Peter looked at it and said, well, that's fine, but why in the world would you want to bring pavement? The things we most prize down here will be the norm up there. It will be the usual up there. But that does not make them less valuable in this world or less unusual in this world. And therefore, as I tell you three things that you have already gotten in Jesus Christ, three ways that you can walk in confidence in His nature, I want you to know it's going to get better and better. But it's better than you suspect right now. Number one, if I am truly identified with Christ, if Christ is my identity, what does that mean I can walk in? Number one, you can walk in forgiveness. Now you say, well, I know I can go to him and, and, and be forgiven uh, anytime I sin. No, you haven't heard what I've just said. You are forgiven ahead of time. By the cross of Jesus Christ, every sin you have committed and will commit is forgiven. The only deciding factor is when you're finally going to bring it to Him so you can renew the fellowship. You see, that brings a lot of confidence when I walk along. Knowing that God does not have to decide every time whether or not He's going to forgive this particular sin. A lot of confidence. And it gives me even more confidence to take those sins to Him so that I can restore the fellowship I know He has for me. It says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, if, He is faithful. You know what faithful means? It means He always does the same thing. Doesn't have to make up His mind again. He's already made it up. He's already made up His mind about you. And so I know what the answer is going to be. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can walk in that. You can have the confidence in that. Some of you heard a story I told years ago about a little boy who had gotten a bow and arrow. When you were little, did you ever get one of those fiberglass, like 20-pound pull bows? We, we, got, we, we got those when we were boys. And, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, you'd, you'd shoot this thing and you're going to go way up in the air and it come down and, brrr, you know, land. Boy, it's a real sense of power. Well, this little boy got one and he went to his grandmother's house. And his grandmother lived on, his far, on a farm. And her prized possessions were her ducks. She had ducks in a pond. Remember this? She had ducks in a pond. Well, the little boy's out there and he's got a bow and arrow. You know, it's just, you know the, you know the story. He's thinking... Well, I'm going to see how close I can come, because there ain't a chance in the world I'm going to hit those ducks, you know? Ain't a chance in the world. Yeah, some of you have had this experience. We just got back from Thanksgiving not too long ago and went up to the family to, to get out and see our family in Indiana. And er, practically every family has an uncle, uh, 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 outdoorsman, Uncle Field and Stream, you know? <laughs> you, get, you got one of those in your family? Uncle Field and Stream. Let's go hunting, you know? We got one of those. Uncle Field and Stream. So, so you all go out, you know, to places where you, where you learn your Indian name, you know. <laughs> Mine is Dances with Briar Patches, you know. <coughs> the 
The name of our, the name of our family in the woods is The Rabbits Are Safe. <laughs> so anyhow, you know, you go out with the... And we were tromping along with Uncle Field and Stream, and, you know, there was a, the littlest boy uh, had a, a BB gun and said, Can I shoot that bird up there? We said, sure. You know, one of the chances, you know, you know. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, well, let me get back to the duck. So this... So the, the kid is pulling, you know, hits right through the heart of the duck. Duck, you know, just plops over. The kid's mortified. He had never, never assumed he could hit this thing. Why well, he goes out, grabs the duck, hides the duck, you know. And now he's trying to figure out how he can get his grandmother uh, to not know what he's done. And so his grandmother calls him into, you know, lunch, and he's, you know, kind of staying away from it, you know, eating his lunch in silence. You know, he, well, I got to go down. Just scoots out. All afternoon, stayed away from his grandmother. Can't. Well, after a while, he just missed his grandmother. He loved his grandmother. He had a wonderful relationship with his grandmother. So finally, a guilt just got to him, and he just came to his grandmother, tears pouring down his cheeks. Said, "Grandma, I got something to tell you." She said, "What is it?" He said, I shot one of your ducks and killed it. She looked at him and said, Honey, I was standing at the kitchen window when you did that. <laughs> she said, I saw it when it happened, and I forgave you the moment it happened. I just wanted to see how long it would be before you'd come back to me. You know what? If you're in Christ, that's exactly the attitude of God. You're forgiven. The moment it happens, how long is it going to take? Well, you just come back. Because you know the response. Don't you miss him? Go back. Second, you walk in discernment. The kind of discernment that the world doesn't have, but kind of catches up to. Now, that doesn't mean you're more knowledgeable than anybody else or know more facts than anybody else. But it means by faith, you know that God's in charge of this thing. By faith, you know the end. You know how it ends up. And so you can walk in a whole different kind of confidence. It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. By the way, this whole, that whole section, y'all read that over. That's just so encouraging. It says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. You know what? Many Christians don't realize that they sense truth and they can be confident in that truth. And that after a while, it will come to bear. Because the world looks so chaotic and so contradictory. I don't know if any of you have picked up a copy of this week's Time magazine. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. This, uh, this on, 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 the, uh, on the front of the copy of Time magazine, uh, it says, Evolution's Big Bang. It says, New discoveries show that life as we know it began in an amazing biological frenzy that changed the planet almost overnight. Fancy that. <laughs> Big surprise. I got this because my wife's a biologist, and so I, I, I brought it back to her, but it's, it's so cute because it says, <coughs> you know, I love to see science catching up to the Bible. It says, uh, over decades, evolutionary theorists, beginning with Charles Darwin, have tried to argue that the appearance of multicelled animals during the Cambrian uh, uh, period 
merely seemed sudden. But this explanation seems increasingly unsatisfactory. Since 1987, discoveries of major fossil beds in Greenland, in China, in Siberia, and now in Namibia have shown that the period of biological innovation occurred virtually the same instant in geologic time all around the world. Big surprise. <laughs> you knew that, didn't you? It took me at the end of this thing, they say, it says this, I love this. It says, even more speculative are scientists' attempts to address the flip side of the Cambrian mystery, why this evolutionary burst, so stunning in speed and scope, has never been equaled. There is no record of new phyla emerging later on. Well, you knew it. How'd you know it? By faith. Says it in the book. You know, we don't know all the details, you know. Stick around for about a hundred years, we'll all have a good laugh, you know. But, but it's, you know, first, first the universe appeared suddenly, heavens and earth were made suddenly, now the creatures are made suddenly. You know, I, I picked up this book, uh, Physics, I, I love theoretical physics, uh, just the, the philosophy of it. And uh, the physics of immortality. Listen to this. I love this. Frank J. Kipler is professor of mathematical physics at Tulane University, a major theoretician in the field of global general relativity, the rarefied branch of physics created by Stephen Hawking. Kipler was an atheist who gave little thought to questions of theology. Yet in devising a mathematical model of the end of the universe, Kipler came to a stunning conclusion. Quote, I mean, colon, Using the most advanced and sophisticated methods of modern physics, relying solely on the rigorous procedures of logic that science demands, he had created a proof of the existence of God. Now, we all know God's not going to let himself be proven. That's, a, that's only a faith thing. But let him have that for a little while. For the last 17 years, Tipler has explored the implications of the omega point theory one of which is even more astonishing than the evidence of God's existence. It is not only possible, but likely, that every human being who ever lived will be resurrected from the dead. Wow! <laughs> Big surprise! You knew that, didn't you? How? By faith. You see, you have this discernment. And you can walk in this discernment from a reminder of who you are and who God is. I just returned yesterday from a, or last night from a three-day conference in Colorado Springs. This leadership organization had invited 25 of the nation's uh, pastors, uh, authors, uh, seminary professors, um, uh, publishers, uh, to meet and for three days brainstorm what the church was going to look like in the 21st century. One of the films that we watched, or the only film that we watched, was Margaret Wheatley's film on uh, science and the new management. Now, Wheatley's not a Christian, but one of the things that they talked about was the, the science of chaos. Many of you have read this. That looking at seemingly random things, if you look at them long enough, you will notice wonderful patterns brought about by what they have called a 
strange attractor. We know his name, don't we? We know his name. That no matter how chaotic it looks, that God, in his sovereignty, makes sense out of chaos, makes these wonderful patterns of life and builds into them what he will build into the world, and that is his own wonderful pattern. When you know that by faith, you have a whole different life, because when life falls apart, it isn't falling apart. It's just getting ready to be put back together again in a way that's better. Before you became Christians, you were subject to Murphy's Law. It's the only law you knew. Anything that can go wrong, will. And all of you knew the truth of that. And that's, that's, that's the law. That's the only law of the world. That's the law of the world. But after you became Christians, you changed the law. You, you sensed that there was a new law. And the new law is, anything that can go wrong will eventually go right. Except for short periods of time when you do something stupid. Let me repeat that, because I think you need to carry this around with you. Anything that could go wrong will go right, except for short periods of time when you do something stupid. Why? Because we know who made the universe. Because Murphy's Law got replaced with Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's our law. You see, so we've got this discernment that gives us the confidence to conduct life in a whole different way. When life looks like it's falling apart, it's not. Because God's in charge. It's not up to us. We don't have to control anything. He's controlling everything. And let me give you the third one, and then I'm going to shut up. The third one is, well, let me read it to you. It's out, it's out, it's, it's, the first one is a, uh, John 1.12. And it's about authority. You have authority in this world. Authority that, that very seldom you exercise because you keep forgetting about it. Um, the authority you have is the authority over sin. In John 1.12, the Bible says, To as many as believed, to them he gave authority, exousia, to become the children of God, to become the sons of God. You have the authority to do what God does in this world. It says in Romans 6.14, and, and this is a wonderful passage, it says, Sin shall not be master over you anymore, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, you can say this to yourself, I can't control the world. I'm not the boss of the world, but I'm the boss of sin. Sin doesn't have to control me anymore. I've got a new nature. I can't control everything, but I can control my behavior I am not subject to those same old powers. It is so important for us to understand that. Let me just ask you a question. Given the glimpse of what you've been given in heaven, given the glimpse of who you are in Jesus Christ, do you not think that you can absolutely walk in uprightness of righteousness in this world and have that kind of power if you will just exercise it? You know, before you became a Christian, you didn't have that, you didn't have that recognition. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Look at Joseph. 
Joseph, who went through all of what, you know, he was shown who he was going to be when he was a little boy. And he never lost that vision. And he went through all kinds of trouble. And, and one of them was Potiphar's wife. His boss's wife came on to him. This was sexual harassment. And came on to him and said, you know, come on, let's, let's have it. Let's go. Come on. Now, if you had operated like the world operates, and you had entered into that kind of temptation, you would have said, well, you know what? I wasn't very loved in my childhood. I, I, uh, my brothers all hated me because I had a nice coat. And I never felt the warmth of love from my brothers. But this woman's willing to love me. Would God deny me this? And then you'd go right on. See? It's a good thing. I finally got love here. Or you'd say, well, I'm genetically predisposed. <laughs> After centuries of gathering in one gene, a whole bunch of testosterone in the rest of the thing, you know, and... Boy, this is what I was made for. You know, our ancestors mated with many wives to ensure the, the multiplication of... Pro well, let's go. Now, you would have done that, and you would have rationalized the sin. What did Joseph do? Let me tell you something. Let me give you this. I love the fact that many of you are in a 12-step group. I wish my mother had found that or had, had gone into a 12-step group before alcoholism killed her. Uh, I think 12-step groups are wonderful because you recognize the power of sin. You recognize your helplessness. You start attaching yourself to God. But let me give you something even more powerful right now that I hope for you someday. I hope someday you will come to grips with your identity in Jesus Christ so profoundly that you can be in a one-step group. Want to sin? No. One step. You've got that power. You've got that power. Joseph looked at power, and Potiphar's wife said, Naked woman, I'm out of here. One step. See? One step. Let your faith remind you of who you are. Pray with me. God, thank you that you not only gave us a place to go, you gave us a person to be. And that person... Jesus Christ, you in the flesh, has now transferred your identity and your spirit into our lives. Thank you that we are not slaves to sin anymore. That if we sin, it's because we want to, not because we have to. Thank you that actual righteousness can make progress through Jesus Christ. Lord, make us into his image. We pray in his name. Amen.